Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 5, Cardassians, teleplay by James Crocker and directed by Cliff Bowl. This episode aired on October 24th, 1993. This week on Deep Space Nine, Garrick and Dr. Bashir investigate abandoned Cardassian war orphans on Bajor. Well, good news, everyone. Garrick's back! We love a Garrick episode. I don't know why I made this a little sing-songy, but... Sing, sing, song, bing, <laughs> bing, kept... bong, Garrick episode i feel like we need to come up with like a little jingle for whenever garrick's on now that you sang that um (laughs) i'm not trying to give you more editing work but that would be real cute uh just putting the horns from like uh, like the start of careless whisper or something it's like Um, uh, yeah, so so Garrick's back, and we got ourselves some Cardassian political intrigue. We have, you know, a per- custody battle. We have Garrick fixing computers and records and forensic accounting, basically, almost. Like this, <laughs> there's, like, accounting. something. There's something for everyone in this episode. How, how did you feel about... Season two, episode five, Cardassians. Um, real quick, I took a uh, what's the word? Auditing class in college, and that one of the fields you could go into for that was like forensic accounting, and that sounded so boring to me, so I did not continue. Um, so I actually remembered this episode. Um, I specifically remembered Rugal and the part where Garrick and Dr. Rashir go to that resettlement center. Right. Um, I was just really excited to have a Garrick episode, as our listeners would not be surprised to hear. Um, I do, I do wonder because like we're so ex- I mean. I can't, I don't want to speak for both of us, but I'm so excited about a Garrick episode, but I do wonder like how people watching for the first time feel because obviously this is like this only the second episode with Garrick, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's correct. <laughs> so I'm like a little concerned that I'm overhyping him <laughs> for people. Um, but yeah, I like this episode. Um, I do think it's funny that because there's a child involved in the plot, the writers were like, we'll have Keiko and Miles involved. Yeah. Um, like, I had that <laughs> the, too. The way that Miles takes Rugal under his wing a little, it kind of reminded me like how Miles w- was during, uh, with Tosk. Um, okay. Yeah. Like how he was like trying to make sure he was like comfortable. Um, I kind of, like, got vibes that Miles and Keiko could be, like, foster parents. Like, they just seem very caring. And while Miles had his um, prejudices, I think he came around on rule. But I did like that Keiko was like, I don't care if you've had bad experiences with Cardassians. You don't make generalizations like that, like, about an entire species. And I was like... 
um, I don't know. Keiko was just very, uh, I'm trying to think of how to phrase that. I, I think that, like, <laughs> she held him, like, accountable um, and, like, pushed back on, you know, his racist or, or speciest or pre- his prejudice kind of comment and characterization of Cardassians. And I really liked, too, when she was like when she was calling him when Keiko was calling Miles Allen and she's like that's a really ugly thing you just said and he's like oh oh I was just saying that she's like you don't have to repeat it I was like yes thank yeah, you yeah I really liked that too it was a good um, moment it, yeah it kind of reminded me of like I don't know I kind of hate when you're discussing something bad and like someone feels the need to like show an example of the bad thing or like right and I'm like, we all know you don't need to share it again. Yeah. It's like, what? I just said blank. Like, right? It's like, well, yeah. now I've repeated blank. So, like, come on, bro. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have a question. How old do you think Rugal is supposed to be? And when do children normally stop biting people? <laughs> These I mean... are rhetorical questions I don't expect you to have the answer to. <laughs> Um, I don't have children, but I did kind of feel like Rugal was a little old to be biting. Um, I'm not going to look this up because I would rather just think that I am right on this topic. But it was funny to me that biting was like, like you think of like little kids biting. I don't know. Maybe because Rugal was like taller. Was he like, oh, wasn't he eight? He was supposed to be eight. Because I feel so this like episode takes place in twenty three seventy, and Rugal was born in twenty three sixty two. So yeah, oh I'm right. Correct. Because I remember them saying that he was four when he was brought to the resettlement center, and I think it had been four years since then. Yeah. Anyway, that just seemed like a little eight, a little old for biting. Um. If any parents out there feel that I am misrepresenting how children behave, um, you can um, keep that to yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> fair enough. Like, I mean, I don't think it's like eight is. Yeah. It... I'm just being silly. <laughs> yeah. The actor's 25. <laughs> At the time? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> the actor was born. Maybe that's. <laughs> Okay. It all makes so, sense to know. Yeah, so... They had a 25-year-old playing an 8-year-old. That's yeah. bonkers. Yeah, so... The no actor, wonder I felt that way. The actor who plays Rugal is named Videl Peterson and was born in 1968. So Videl <laughs> would have been like 25 ish maybe 24 maybe even as birthday yeah, right he's born in i mean um, he's over 18 which makes it bananas yeah. yeah which is like and again it's like that thing where it's 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 space right so like maybe cardassian is just like age faster and like whatever but i think in terms of like you read like what the like yeah like if we're going supposed to be like 16 or like you know closer to the the actor's natural age um that's when it's really weird i think for like an eight-year-old to bite like 
not great, but like less weird. Yeah, um, I think I definitely, even though he was playing an eight-year-old, I definitely got the vibes of an older person, and that is probably where my thought on this came from. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Peterson, the actor, this, this is his um, second appearance on Star Trek. He was uh, Romulan in Star Trek The Next Generation. Um in the fifth season episode unification part two the uh opening oh, the yeah. season that opened that it's, that's the the two-parter in which leonard nimoy guest stars as spock yeah those are good episodes i had rewatched them before unification part three which is a discovery episode yeah and then i rewatched them when i was up to that part in tng what did you think of this episode? I feel like I've been talking for a long time. <laughs> you know, I I enjoyed it. I enjoy, like, generally, even though it kind of makes, doesn't make the most sense, but I'll allow it, where it's like, where Garrick is a messy bitch who loves drama and is basically, like, knows more than he's letting on and like right. leads Julian down the, the garden path a little bit to do like those investigations and like play detective and like whatever. So I do like enjoy that dynamic. Um, I think kind of the, the central drama of like the custody battle is like, interesting and i think that scene that you mentioned earlier that you remembered where you have julian and garrick at the at the orphanage um Mm -hmm. with the cardassian orphans who haven't been adopted and then they see another Cardassian like are you here to take us home like that's fucking heartbreaking yeah Um, i mentioned that later in my notes like that part made me really sad and i felt that even garrick felt so sad that he like couldn't give these kids hope yeah um but like i i think uh, what prevents me from like feeling that this is more than just an above average episode what like stops it from kind of being like a really great episode for me is where things kind of like end with rugel and the way that like rugel's story ultimately is kind of inconsequential to like the political maneuvering and like the custody right. arrangement gets settled, like kind of hand wavy. And the fact yeah. that like Rugal's adoptive parents after kind of the, you know, initial sort of conversation of the first couple, like the first half of the episode, we don't see them again. It's like, they just become this like inconvenience because the episode just waves away. And then there's, you know, the interesting stuff in the, the window into Cardassian politics and the interplay between the civilian government and the military and, and kind of that real politics sort of, you know, political gamesmanship sort of thing, which is interesting to me, but like, Rugal just totally gets kind of lost in then his his custody bat the custody battle for Rugal is like totally kind of inconsequential to the episode and like that well thematically I think it can it can work because it's like ultimately kind of like that scene at the orphanage right where the children was... are just left there but it just but I it leaves me of... unsatisfied which right. I kind of like and I... don't like <laughs> I've I've I assume it's obvious I've never been part of a custody battle before, but I do wonder 
how much of it is the parents going back and forth and like how much of it is really what's best for the kid or you know doing what the kid wants which obviously children don't always know what's best for them but um it is really interesting that I'm almost wonder I'm probably reading into this but I almost wonder if it was like on purpose done that way yeah and like just like I think the choice to cast such like an older actor like it reads it reads differently on screen than maybe like not it should it just reads a certain let me back up it reads a certain way on screen in which you, screen in which you want to give Rugal more autonomy to his choices than like maybe you would give someone who like reads more as a child um right because like until we like had this discussion and looked up the ages and we thought about it a little bit more i would have just assumed that like yeah okay rugal's played by a 25 year old he's he's playing like you know like he's a hollywood teenager <laughs> basically yeah, right no, totally. not like a, not like an eight-year-old and yeah i get it we can like you know, in-universe explain it as, like, a Cardassians grew up fast, you know, sort of thing. And, like, that's cool. And so maybe I have my human bias coming into this. But, like... I, I want to argue been a... that. Okay, go I ahead, I really please. think it was probably just a, oh, we're putting makeup on this person. It doesn't matter how old they are. Like, I don't even know if there's really a real, like, in-universe answer for it. It just feels like the casting... We're going to pick this actor that can do the role and it doesn't matter what they look like because we're going to put makeup on, even though they still look older. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, they're like, and if we're going like a little bit more down the like real world, like production standpoint, rabbit hole, um, it's a lot easier on your production if you hire a 25 year old because the labor laws are different for like child actors versus like adult actors right for sure because um, mm-hmm. you know kids only can act you know certain hours they get their days can't run longer you need like right, tutors right, right. on set and all that shit right um mm-hmm. so yeah it just it just reads differently to me to the point where it's like <clears throat> if you had like let's like a 16 year old or an 18 year old like say like a hollywood teen because the actor's actually 25 um you would treat him or them um in in a different way possibly than like the autonomy of like an eight-year-old who's like less developed now i still think you should listen to what the eight-year-old wants um i think that's definitely like a factor Um, yeah but it shouldn't it might not maybe it shouldn't be the only factor but yes yeah 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 yes mm-hmm. <laughs> do you have any other affirmations to say before we move on <laughs> from initial thoughts i was reflecting as i was watching it and thinking about um our recent episodes on the first three episodes like in the like circle trilogy Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about Vedic Wynn and Louise Fletcher's performances. And, like, Mark Alamo is really good as Gal Dukat, but, like, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about, like, 
ways in which we have cognitive dissonance between actors and their roles that play villains who aren't like villainous but like yes i don't really like mark alamo like i don't i've never met the man to be fair but just like the sense of him i kind of get from like interviews and then some of the stuff that's in the what we left behind like documentary on deep space nine um kind of like yeah i don't think i'm a fan but like ducat is such an interesting character at this point and a right. does like have a like have a good performance and it's like it's part of what makes deep space nine so unique is you have yes the ability to like dig into these like character stories because the station is static of the cast but then also like their antagonists are so fully formed and like interesting too and they're like strong foils for our cast to like play off of whereas like that's another strength where you can have kind of some more of those reoccurring villains instead of like when you have a a planet episode like planet of the week sort of storytelling i i similarly like I don't have an opinion on the actor, really, but I look at him and I just see Ducat. So, in that way, I don't separate them. Right. Um. He's just... He is Ducat to me. And it's funny because, obviously, Ducat is in costume and isn't human, so it, it's not, you know, his... <laughs> The actor doesn't actually look like that, but I still, like, they're the same to me. It's pretty interesting. Well, and, like, I think, too, like, what what could be part of that is, like, Mark Alamo played, a, was one of, kind of like um, Armin Shimmerman, actually, being one of the first Ferengi characters. But Mark, right. but Mark Alamo played one of the first Cardassians in the Next Generation episode, The Wounded, where they were they were introduced. And so when they were designing the makeup, it kind of was like designed for his physical features because he does have kind of that long, lean neck and all of that stuff. So like that's I can totally see why, like when you see him I was gonna say out of drag. Um out of his Cardassian <laughs> out of like his Cardassian makeup. Um <laughs> Um, I think like you his just exposed yourself as a fan of drag, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is something um, that shouldn't need to be exposed because that is a lovely interest. <laughs> I mean, I tweeted about it a lot, like as recently as last night. I don't know if you saw <laughs> For those. For sure. Um, so it, it's really funny. I More on Ducat, because I actually like, ha- I, in my notes, I had like a whole section on him. Um. He clearly has a spot, some sort of spy on Deep Space Nine. Like, he's he always well knows. Yeah, he always knows what's going on. I want to know who's feeding him this information. Um, I also want to know. So, like, Ducat's ex- appearance in this kind of gives me more questions than answers, uh, and I mean that in like a really good way. Like this sh- show is only in season two; like there's a lot left, so it, it, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not like they didn't tell us, blah blah. Like I'm very excited to like learn more, even though I personally know, but like for the show <laughs> to like show us more. But I'm like really interested in the Garrick Ducat. animosity or like dynamic because like 
it's clear that they don't like each other. Yeah, um, and like so that, and like everyone like suspects that Garrick is like the Cardassian spy on the station, and like his tailor shop is like just a front, and like there are definitely hints that there's more going on with Garrick in this in this episode. Um, but because he seems to have that animosity with Ducat, Garrick's probably not the one feeding him information, right? Whereas, like, before, yeah, that's how I feel too. Yeah, yeah. Like, if Garrick wasn't in this episode or was like in it less, I would think okay, maybe. But like, I really feel that Garrick feels about Ducat how I feel about Ducat, um, which is not great, Bob. Um, yeah, I just. I want to know more about their history and why they don't seem to like each other. Um, I just, I don't trust anything that Ducat says. He claims, he like knows everything, but now is just interested in rehoming these abandoned children. Like, I just feel like he knew they were, I, I have to believe he knew they were there the whole time. Like, he just, he knows everything. Ducat, don't trust him. Don't. Trust him. <laughs> but I like the character. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're only allowed to say yes during this podcast. No, no's. Well, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's improv rules here on Pod Race, right? You always, you always say yes. <laughs> Only um, for you. I could, yes, I could yes. do whatever I want. You can do whatever you like. So, how do you feel? Basically, I'm asking Matt questions that I already have answers to. Because um, I just like to talk. Um how do you feel about Rugal's anti-Cardassian bias? Like how he's being raised that way. (laughs) But like, I don't, I don't think that that's like what it is. Right. Like, I think he like, I mean, uh, I don't think he's being told to hate Cardassians like every day or like that's something his parents talk about constantly but the way he reacted to Garrick implies that there's some sort of version of that going on to me anyway but like respectfully Garrick had no business going over and like introducing himself and especially like touching Rugal like invading his personal space that way he he should not have touched him but like, I don't think there's anything wrong with him introducing himself. I mean, not not necessarily, but like they like clearly aren't interested in talking, and like Garrick decides to like um, kind of press the press the issue a bit. Um, like I don't like my. Uh, I think my Garrick blinders are on right now, and I'm just gonna fully admit that. I mean, fair enough. I don't disagree with you, but also I love Garrick and I know, I don't think he meant harm, even though he harmed. Right. Um, Sorry, I'm just trying to like... You're fine. Condense my thoughts. Um, I don't 
think that Rugal was being raised to hate Cardassians. And I don't think that in Rugal's adopted adopted family that like there was a level of like we hate you because you're Cardassian. Like there was like a difference there and like I think Rugal and I'm thinking now of the scene later when his his biological father, who's a member of the civilian government, um, and him like re-meet for the first time. And Rugal says something which is pretty harsh, but I don't know if I necessarily disagree with, where it's like, you deserved as part of the colonial oppressors, you know, to have like your house bombed and like whatever, whatever, right? Like however he, he says it and paraphrases that. So I think Rugal knows the occupation was bad. He saw it, he lived through it, and he like, you know, is as... is not only a victim of it in his own way from, you know, the whole being kidnapped and political intrigue plot to like embarrass the, the civilian government leader and things like that, like the, the machinations of Ducat, but like he doesn't have a false consciousness about what the occupation right. was. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing or being raised to like hate his own kind to know that they right. committed atrocities got it so you're so let me just make sure i understand so you are saying that you think that rugel has his feelings about the cardassians based on what he's seen and based on how bejor is i assume trying to heal because of what happened so he's just from like lived experience for the most part yeah yeah more 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 or less because like i like i don't like and i think like yeah like he says something about hating being like Cardassian and like, you know, trying to rectify his and figure out like his identity as he like gets up and ages and whatever. But like on one level, I kind of view that as like pretty normal, like adopted kid shit, like, right. Or just kid shit in general. Um, where it's like, like yeah, there are certain healthier ways maybe to like work through that, but I don't. But like Rugal's like, so called self hatred, is him working through his own stuff, not ne- which is not great, and I don't think it's good. But like I don't think it's being instilled in him by his adopted parents. You know what I, I mean? Get you. That yeah, no, I and, I and can like, see that. And, like, again, I think this is where it's it's complicated to, like, work this out because of the casting of an adult actor Right, I think that's character. where I'm having trouble um, yeah. separating that. I mean, obviously, I, in the back of my mind, knew that the character was eight, but I had forgotten. But it's, like, the actor just looks older, and I, I've... You know, how much can an eight-year-old really do? Like, they don't really have that much autonomy to, like, make decisions and stuff. So I'm probably putting more on Rugal than I should in that sense. Yeah, it's it's, it's tough, right? Um, It's tough.
So we got a lot of um, Garrick and Bashir scenes this week. Um, Garrick actually sneaks into Bashir's quarters. Sneaky, sneaky. Eyes emoji. Um, there's a comment that Garrick makes. I don't remember at what part in the episode implying that they have continued having meals together since that episode where they met that we saw in season one. No. Um, so, like, I get the impression that they are friends and they have spent a decent amount of time together, even though it's just been off camera. I yeah. do like that it is enough for Bashir to respect and believe Garrick when Garrick is basically like, we need to go to this resettlement. We need to get a runabout. Like, he, Bashir trusts Garrick even without all of the information. I mean, to a point, there is a point where Bashir's like, no, I, I like later in the episode, I, I need more if I'm going to back you or, you know, let you do, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I do. I mean, I would entirely watch a show of just Garrick and Bashir becoming friends like that is something I am invested in um yeah. but I don't think Deep Space Nine needs to have that <laughs> um I mean I wouldn't complain but like you know there are other stories to tell as well um so I felt fine that just believing that they had been hanging out and having meals together and becoming friends without having seen it is what I'm trying to say yeah, totally. Totally. I, like, definitely hear and feel that. Um, I do feel like we learned a lot about Garrick's abilities in this episode. Like, he fixes that computer <laughs> at the yeah. recent... That was something I had remembered also from the previous watch. <laughs> I... Garrick's a little pushy, um... He, like, kind of pushes in a lot of places, which I think in some instances is helpful, like getting the computer fixed and maybe in other instances um, trying to meet Rugal and his adopted father. Not as great. I find it rather charming um, overall, and I think that maybe it's because I have a similar... I feel like sometimes I have a similar quality. <laughs> um, so basically I'm like... I just, like, you know, I guess it's good. I, I like myself um, most of the time. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I I really felt it was kind of funny how he was, like, they get there and the computer's not working. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to fix the computer. And he does that. And then they get the data and they're like, okay, well, Rugal's information's missing or whatever it was. And it just seemed so... This whole thing seemed very, like, hand-wavy, where it was like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and we talked about it earlier. It was so, it was really upsetting when Garrick, like, was not able to help the orphans, although I feel like hopefully they're helped now. Um, so not finding the information was really funny because then he finds the person who created the file and that felt like a little ridiculous. Like I kind of had to suspend 
belief that the name of the person who created the file was this... I didn't write the person's name down. And we get to the kind of point of that whole thing. The person that brought Rugal to the resettlement center was a Cardassian who was at Tarek Noor, which is what we know as Deep Space Nine, and not a Bajoran. And all the other orphans had been kind of turned in by Bajorans because they had been left. So you'd think if a Cardassian had seen an orphan, they would try to, like, find their parents under normal circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, it's... And, like, what what made Rugal's case interesting is that he was brought to the orphanage by uh, an officer from Tarek Noor, which, like, obviously I wanted by Gal Dukat, part of this other, like, plot that gets unveiled. But, like, most of the Bajoran War orphans, they said, were were street kids, right? Um, yeah. Were, like, houseless and orphaned and, and, and things like that. And it's just, like... I don't know. Obviously, there isn't much of a welfare state um, in, like, Cardassian society or desire to, like, rehome them. And, like, something that, like, Dukat as an antagonist is really good at is, like, moral indignation and, like, cloaking himself in, like, moral language to further his own aims and it's like oh well i left because i was ordered to i didn't want to this is so bad it's like he doesn't fucking care like no and yeah and it's interesting too because i i got the impression from the episode that i mean obviously things happen and and their house was blown up and arugal and we who we later find out to be you know his family and so his family thought he was dead and I'm like, A, like, there was no body. Like, are you going to keep looking? But I also got the impression that losing a son or a child to death is, like, more honorable in their society than losing a child and that child's an orphan now. Like, there's some sense that the parents should be, like, ashamed or shunned in the society like that's the impression that i got and i'm not saying it's great that they didn't keep looking but i you know when we find out that someone literally like took their kid and there's no way that they would have known that so i i don't know excuse me (laughs) i mean i guess they thought he was dead but like it almost feels like if they had found Rugal, it might have been worse. Like, they, and they, because they make a big deal about covering this whole thing up. And I, because it would bring shame. And I'm like, you know, someone kidnapped your kid. Like, that's not necessarily on you. I don't know. I, it's really, (laughs) it's, it's just a different species that has different social norms. Yeah. 
Um, so basically, as you you mentioned this earlier, but Kotan Padar is turns out to be Rugal's um, biological father, and he's alive. So he was mm-hmm. a prominent politician, and it's interesting because at first, him and Dukat seem like a little buddy buddy. They want to help each other, but then you find out that Padar was very instrumental in ending the occupation, which closed Terragnor, which also meant that Dukat lost his position as prefect. So he basically put him out of a job. So they hate each other. Um, so that's kind of what caused this whole thing to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Political drama. Yeah. Drama llama. But that kind of goes... Yeah, that's my line. Um, so, yeah, that kind of goes what you were saying earlier, where the drama and the story kind of moves away from, like, okay, there's a custody hearing, what's best for the child, to this. Um, yeah. And it just... Like, I really do feel bad for Padar because, you know, his son was kidnapped and he thought he was dead. But I really, I don't know. I've never, you know, I'm not a parent. I've said this a million times on this podcast. But, like, did they try to look for him? Or did, like, there's no sense of that. Well, they thought Padar was told he was dead, right? Because, like, Padar's wife and, like, Rugal's biological mother died in in the um attack so i think like padar obviously wasn't there so i think he was just reported like it was dead like right Right. so maybe due to the type of explosive there was like incineration like there wasn't like any kind of like remains or something like that so Hmm. it's just bad to cut bad I would, I don't know. I'm really started trying to not be depressed of the thought of a family member dying and not being able to, like, confirm it by seeing their body. Like, that whole thing that haunts me. Um, but that's, like, a personal problem. <laughs> I do have, like, overall anxiety of, like, someone dying and not, me, like, also not finding out. I don't know, I'm trying not to be too morbid, but, like, that's, these are the thoughts that go through my head. No, I, I, I like, definitely hear you, and, like, I think that it's, like, I'm sensitive to, like, what Padar would have, would have gone through, and that what would have been like, and I'm glad he finally did the right thing in terms of being instrumental in ending the occupation, um... I don't know. It's just like Rugal doesn't know him at all. And it's like yeah. like I just I don't know. I like I don't know what the right answer is for like the custody where, stuff where, ultimately. Yeah. Um and I think ultimately the episode isn't that interested in it. Um That's true. But but uh I'm just not I'm not convinced that the, the call that Cisco makes to send Rugal back to Cardassia with 
Kotan Padua was the right one. Um, right. I don't know. It just. I'm kind of yeah. I'm I'm mixed on it. The thing that bother like the thing that I'm wrestling with more is that yeah. Padar's covering for Ducat because they both don't want this to get out, and I'm like. I'm sorry, but if you kidnap my fucking kid, I'm raising hell. You're losing your job. Like, I don't think, I can't imagine feel, like, I can't imagine being in Padar's shoes and thinking the shame of my kid being stolen is worse than, like, the person, someone kidnapping someone. Like, I feel like they're not even. Um, and that might just be, I'm a less, I'm less into appearances than this dude is, but I, I think what Dukat had done is so horrible that it's worth, it would be worth it to me to expose him. Yeah. But like, it's it just the whole like game of Cardassian politics is like, yeah, in the sense I guess of that's like, why I'm not in politics. <laughs> Yeah, um, that scene too with between Pudor and and O'Brien about different ways of like rearing the family is like interesting, and I think you know, and even should have mentioned it earlier, but it just came back to me when like O'Brien's talking to Rugal, and it's just like. <laughs> O'Brien like kind of weighs off the fact that even in the 24th century we're still spanking kids and I'm like a little bit (laughs) I'm like man really really again it's just a product of it's 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 time but I'm just like right (laughs) Star Trek's bright future still includes spanking your children not to like invite spanking discourse with like two non-parents on the podcast yeah I'm just like oh man um that's funny But yeah, this the ending kind of like leaves me unsatisfied. And as I alluded to or or may have explicitly mentioned before, I don't recall, the unsatisfying ending I think kind of rules, but I'm also like frustrated by it. Like it doesn't Yeah. I don't know if it was intentionally supposed to be a frustrating ending. I I do also like a an ending where I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm on board with what happened, but that's what happened. I yeah. so I I get what you're saying. Yeah, and it's just like I guess like where I'm like challenged isn't that the ending isn't satisfying and like the way that we're longing for as a, as the audience and like want it to. I just don't know if that was intentional. <laughs> right. Like, if it was, like, supposed to be intentionally unsatisfying, hell yeah, that rules. But just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel that way to me. You know what I mean? We need to get James Crocker and Cliff Bull on this podcast to explain to us what their intentions were. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully they're both still alive. You never know. Do you have anything else to add before we get into our regularly scheduled segments? No, I think we did it. 
Cool. All I have right. not had a drink this entire episode. Yeah, so you're, fe- you're feeling a little parched? I am feeling a little parched. Well, then uh, mm-hmm. maybe you should uh, have some Altair water to uh, quench that thirst. I think that's a very good idea. So who are you thirsting for this week, Elise? I am not thirsting for anything related to myself, but I just, I am here for Garishir. Yes, they are friends. Do I ship it? Yes, of course I do. (laughs) I just, it's the, yes, in the end, Bashir needed more background information, but it's just the, he sneaks into his room and then the next thing we know, Bashir's like, Cisco, I need a runabout. That's dedication. <laughs> what about you? Um, I can't remember if it was during the, the runabout conversation or after Bashir interrupts um, Cisco's phone call with Galdicott um, in, in ops. But like, Kira's just amused by the whole like Bashir being <laughs> Bashir and being like led along and like, you know, not having any kind of like decorum or etiquette with some of this stuff with Cisco because she's so involved in it. Like when it like cuts around to the different reactions of the cast, like Jadzia says something and just Kira doesn't say anything. She's just like really amused by it and kind of smirking and smiling and things like that. And it just, it was, it did it for me. It was. So it was what I'm getting, was... so what I'm getting for the, you, from you is that you like Kira when she joins me in my garish year love. Because I think that <laughs> yeah, Bashir no acts acts this way and is a little bit more intrusive and r- a little righteous because he definitely felt like what he was doing was right when Garrick is involved. Like Garrick brings that out in him, I think. Yeah, and I think it's like I think it's too. It's like the Starfleet, uh, the Starfleet officer just being excited and going like you know yeah. not following protocol because she's like you know has her own issues with uh starfleet protocol right so yeah for sure i love it all right so, what was your what was your candidate for the most star trek thing of the episode so to me the most star trek thing was how quickly cisco gave rugel's dna up to Ducat in order to like try to find his parents there is absolute like that boy and his but and his like adopted parents were not involved in that conversation at all there's literally no privacy in the 24th century no space hippo no uh, yeah no that's a good one um <laughs> you yeah, I mean, we've kind of already talked about it, but the whole, like, make a decision about the future custody of a, of a child that, like, half the episode is about, and then you shift it, and then you just hand wave it off screen and, like, never think about it again. Um, that makes That sense. felt very, like, episodic Star Trek. Um, and if listeners are interested, there is a Star Trek novel by Una McCormick. I believe it's called The NeverEnding Sacrifice, which is a sequel to this episode which follows what happens to Rugal after this episode, kind of over the course of, like, the rest of the series, actually, as it goes through the next, you know, five seasons and, and beyond. And if anyone's interested in, in checking that out, um, I definitely, checking that book out, I definitely recommend it. 
I might, no offense to the author who I have other books of, but I might ask you when we're done to give me like a TLDR on that, if you remember. If not, I can look yeah. it up. That's that's why there's memory alpha and memory beta. Memory beta would probably yeah. be the book one. <laughs> um, all right. Well, until next week, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. You can find our show on Twitter and Instagram at Podwraiths, P-O-D-W-R-A-I-T-H-S. You can also email us at Podwraiths at gmail.com. Great. So you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at well, as well at Mattyhugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. Please rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice. And thank you to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye.